Shambles and Retail was a program in uh, female fashion and within three months of launch, 70% of, of the transactions were earning points. Why was that so high? Oh, it wasn't intended. It, um, it was a... <laughs> in my view, uh, I think ROI should be always measured in money terms. You do not put engagement in the bank. And I think when we talk, talk about numbers, I think a good, healthy program should show 150 to 170% ROI. Absolutely love that conversation, guys. I don't get to geek out like this very often. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. We help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we'll discuss the question we're probably asked most often, what can loyalty deliver and what should my benchmarks for success be? To help me with this fascinating question, I'm joined by a group of consultants who between us have experience of hundreds of programs across the world. So please could I welcome David Andriadakis from Kobe Marketing. Hi, David. How you doing? <laughs> and Pavel Lose from Oracle Crowd Twist. Hi, Pavel. Hi, Ian. And Craig Grimshaw from New World Loyalty. Hi, Craig. G'day, Ian. G'day, listeners. And Phil Gunter from New World Loyalty as well. Hi, Phil. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. So today we'd like to cover off the benchmarks for a number of key metrics in loyalty. So we're going to talk about take-up rates. We're going to talk about sales penetration. We're going to talk about redemption rates. And we're going to talk about the big one, which is return investment, ROI. As, as I'm sure we're going to get into, a lot of these things going to be it depends. So if, it says, if any of the consultants say it depends, they're, we're going to hear a cracks and noise like that. So I'm going to shout out, it, it depends. I'm going to raise my hand and say, please, we're going to stay, we're going to leave that to the end, but we're going to try and get through as many examples as we can, try to help people out with guidelines on these key metrics. And then at the end, we're going to be able to talk about the individual programs. Is everyone clear on that? We're all good. Perfect. All good. So before we get into it, can we just get a quick uh, two minute, two minutes on the, or, or quick um, introduction to yourself and your experience so people can get a feeling for where you're coming from. Who, who'd like to start with that one? Um, Dave, would you want to start with that one? Sure, absolutely. I'm uh, Dave Andriadakis. I'm Kobe's Chief Innovation Officer. Um, I've been here at Kobe for about 10 years, and during that time, I've run our strategy group, and um, we've advised on dozens and dozens of programs. Uh, but more importantly to this conversation, we've helped optimize and help people understand the financials and the KPIs. So that's my background here. Perfect, perfect. And uh, and Pavel, do you want to talk about? Do you want to go on that one as well? Sure, thank you. Uh, I'm Pavel. I'm Pavel Loth, uh, based in the Czech Republic, uh, and I work for many years uh, in Shell. Uh, and for a for the last thing, I was the global loyalty manager, uh, oh. so running all the loyalty schemes uh, across the globe, all the way from the US to launching new schemes in in uh, in, in in the Far East. So roughly how many roughly how many programs are you looking after or looking over at any one time? Uh, I was looking after uh, twenty odd schemes around the globe. Wow. Okay. Perfect. Uh, perfect. Uh, now I can I, the way I see myself and now I inspire and support various brands on their loyalty journey from transactional to emotional loyalty. Perfect. That's that's what I do right now. Good. And uh, and Craig. Yeah, hi uh, everyone, uh, Craig Grimshaw. I've been doing loyalty for far too long, for about uh, 30 years, along with a couple of other fossils on the call. The, um, <laughs> I've 
as a result, you tend to do across multi-industry, uh, B2C, B2B, B2E, and agency and client side. So you see a whole lot of range of different things and and where things work and where they don't. Perfect. And uh, Phil? And Phil, yeah, I've run programs for Virgin and, Amer- and Amex in Australia, but last 10 years with New World Loyalty, I've, I've worked across so many different uh, industries and geographies, uh, obviously travel and airlines, every type of retail I can think of, grocery, pharmacy, apparel, sport, outdoor, fashion, um, pretty much every type of financial services, all types of insurance, and then gaming, uh, fast food, health, fuel, news, some really random ones like recruitment. Um, so I've, I've seen so many different pro- uh, programs, it's just not funny. Perfect. And, uh, and I'm Ian Pringle, I'm obviously known to everyone on the podcast, and and I've run, I started out in loyalty again about 30 years ago, Craig, when we, were, we had a coalition program at Shell, actually, Pavel, with, uh, with 12 partners in it so that we were looking after those. So we had 12 partners there, um, EDF Energy with Nectar, but then Adair Miles and then became Avios. We were probably looking after about 50 partners. And then, as, as, as you said, Phil, with, with New World Loyalty, we've, I've, I've, I've worked on a large number there. So I'm probably up to probably about 100 myself. So I think between us, we've probably got two or 300 hundred programs we've we've aware of so if anyone's going to know about metrics we're probably the right people to talk about that so let's get let's get cracking into this so take up rates what take up rates can people can people expect from a loyalty program who'd like to like to start off with that and remember if you say the word depends you're going to hit the hit the klaxon phil you're leaning forward into this one okay i'm going to give you uh, well i'll give you two two examples in retail first so one of the best examples in retail was a program in uh, female fashion and within three months of launch, 70% of, of the transactions were, were earning points. And can I ask what their, what their priority was? What was their objective? Was it to get data or was it to get all their customers in loyalty? What was the, why did they want to get it so high? Because I think that's very high because I've seen it down as low as 20% and still hitting objectives. So why was that, why was that so high? Oh, it wasn't intended. It, um, it was a, <laughs> it, it was a, 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 a well-designed program with 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 really good processes um, and well trained to the staff, and it just went boom. So that, and, that, and was that, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Because it hit so high. Oh, to be honest, it double-edged sword. Um, because as you know, with a new loyalty program, the costs come immediately, um, as in you're issuing the, in issuing the points. Uh, the rewards come later, so it it. Um, it, it don't give a problem, but it meant that the, the 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 costs were higher than expected, whereas the rewards are always a little bit of a lag. Yeah. So can any, can anyone yeah. beat can anyone beat seventy percent? Sure. Go on, David. Sure. You, you, you you can beat that. Go on. Sure. And if you have an auto enroll program, you get a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so. But I'm not saying it depends or anything like that. But if there's an auto enroll program, you'll get to you'll get to uh, <laughs> you'll get to one hundred percent pretty quickly. Um, I would also say that if you if you look at something that has a, a higher hurdle, like a like a co-brand card um, being a requirement or a paid loyalty program, you're going to see much lower numbers, you know, between 15 and 20 percent. Um, but the number I would I would probably push up against that one that equals about 70 percent. I don't say take up rate of 70 percent of consumers, but we see in retail quite often 70 percent of transactions. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to come on to that, David. Don't right, hold, your, hold your horses That's on it. that one. That's it. And That's if, my answer. If, if a successful, if you've got 70% of the top end, has anyone seen a successful loyalty program with 
with really low take-up rates. So I'm thinking airlines, some airline programs I've seen with with penetration rates of, of, of customer penetration rates of down to 5 10%. I can't answer that without saying it depends. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, Sometimes you get the auto filtering going on because if you put the hurdle on who can join the loyalty program, sometimes there's a criteria in place. So you, you And as a result, you're only getting the top quality people, which are maybe all you really want. Yeah. And as David said, if you've got a paid, if you've got paid um, tier... That can be down at five percent and still be successful. I've seen paid tiers be down at five and still and still generate a great amount of revenue. Of course they had, of course they do. And yeah, and... I would add that you know most well not most but there are companies out here out there that are doing it well with multiple programs in place to cover a wide variety of of their customer base. We've got one um, theater client that has a paid program. There's a there's a subscription program and then there's a free program that uh, goes along with that. And so um, they cover uh, a, quite a large number of their customers by having multiple programs to address groups. I'll tell you another example too, which is in a coalition program, I think if you're a partner within a coalition program, it might be a mistake to get to the level of penetration that exists in the coalition program. Does that make sense? Because if the coalition program signed up 70% of the, of the, of the households in the country, then if you want to hit those rates, you you don't because you want to have your more engaged customers in there. Phil, you're raising, you're shaking your head. What do you think about that? No, I, I totally agree. Uh, high penetration is not necessarily a good thing. So that, that this is well, yeah. I'll let end, you say it. I'll let fo- you say it once. Go on then. So focusing on 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 <laughs> numbers without context really dangerous because there, there are t- some programs where 10% is is the bullseye number and it, yeah. I've lifted the lid on many programs where they're getting 10% penetration because they're rubbish same KPI different different um, inference yeah okay we'll, we'll save we'll save that to later to Phil we'll save that to later Sorry. so the, the next measure is is sales penetration so again David you mentioned this before about um, you can have a low a low um, uh, a customer penetration, but a high sales penetration, right? That's this right. Is where the airlines come in too, you know. The, go on. Absolutely, we see that in retail, particularly when there's a, a private label a credit card associated with it. That um, with where all the deals run really, really through the that that or the co-brand, um, that we'll see a, a quite a, a high percentage of transactions, but a lower percentage of customers actually taking up that that card itself. Um, and that's okay if that's their if that's their goal, uh, you know. So oftentimes these are the brands that are are um, good candidates for having a secondary program or a integrated multi-tender program where you've got a card and you've got a loyalty program working alongside each other. And and I, I found that the Pareto principle often applies here. This eighty twenty rule. I've seen it. I, I've seen. It. I, I not don't see it as much as it should be written in the books, but I do see it. Do we all do we all agree with that? That you see eighty twenty quite a lot. Definitely. Oh, yep. And I see like the top 5% of your customers are, are often running about 30 to 40% of your total transaction yeah. revenue. Uh, and that's, that's across the board. I mean, that may vary by a percent or two. And then on the opposite end of this, of the distribution, we'll see, you know, your bottom third of customers are, which is a lot of customers make up a significant portion of the revenue in total. Right. And so uh, you, you can't ignore the low spenders either. Yeah, and one I'll, one I'll and done's an, gone. I'll give you an example where that doesn't necessarily apply is in um, grocery. 
Mm. It's a much flatter curve in grocery. That's right. Where That's right. Depends on the type of grocer, but sometimes you get in New Zealand. It's called a dairy in Australia. It's a milk bar. The local convenience store sometimes shops from the from the grocer as well. So you get these variances go on in the data about the member maybe the actual grocer. So you get these bulk buying in effect coming through into the the grocer rather than through the wholesale channel. Yeah, and to fill to Phil's point earlier, you know, we you can only eat so much, even if you buy all the expensive stuff at the at the grocery store, right? Whereas other industries, whether it be a consumer electronics store or, or uh, an airline, uh, oftentimes when we show our, the C-level executives the distribution of spend, they look at the top end and they say, who the hell is that, right? That's spending, you know, $20,000 at my store. Let me call them. They exist. They're, uh, they, so that always there. exists. Yeah. That, that always yeah. exists. There's always that top end where you think there's no way you can get more out of this. And actually, you can always squeeze more out of those. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and I, I think if I if I then I think we'll be talking about that later on. But the more important is to understand those different segments of those customers, right? Because that's the, that's been the the biggest, uh, uh, the most common mistake I've seen uh, is that brands been looking across the across the entire base and introducing a one scheme fits all instead of looking at these. Uh, different segments and whatever they their spends and what their penetration and right how active they are. It's really important that I've I've often said inst- in, understand your customers before you have a loyalty program rather than have a loyalty program to understand yeah. your customers. And a really good example of that is I worked with a brand recently where BCG had come in and said, actually we we've measured your we've measured your thing and sixty five percent twenty five percent of your customers are driving sixty five percent of your revenue. But it wasn't. It was it was twenty five percent of customers are driving sixty five percent of visits to the toilet, and they weren't actually buying <laughs> buying anything. You know, so you've you've got to really be careful about what you're measuring. Therefore, what you're what you're assuming. And when we found out that that, that actually that was that was rubbish, you know, it makes perfect sense because if you pass a place every day, you might drop in to go to the loo rather than buy buying from them every day, right? Yeah, um, I had a B two B customer had three um, percent of their customers accounted for eighty percent of the revenue. So you had that whole, and they they were not aware of that. So again, they hadn't put the loyalty program in place. But I said you need to you want to look after those people with cotton wool. And can I ask how you got that data? Can I was that payment data? Was that spend data? Was it? That was from on account, all on account. On account, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so the next one we're going to move move into is much easier, right? So redemption and breakage. So we've been in all sorts of programs. What sort of breakage rates, what, what, what are acceptable breakage rates in one end to the other? So let's start at the top. Anyone seen 100%? Actually, anyone seen 100% usage, so 0% breakage? I can put my hand up. I've, I've seen one. Phil, you're, you're, you're shaking your head and it was one of yours. <laughs> 100%? Uh, yeah, that, that was mainly, because, not 100% breakage, 100% usage, because ah. in effect what they were doing is, is, is every three months giving out a voucher. And those three months only had a yeah. only had a light a shelf life of three months. So in effect, after every three months, they're broken anyway. But but um, so so effectively, your expiry date was only was very short. But actually, of those, I think they were being used about six sixty seventy five percent of those were being used in the three months. That was it was it was yeah. Um, yeah yeah, but but you're still not. It's impossible to get to a hundred no, for all sorts no. of reasons. No. Um, What's the highest so, yeah. people have seen? What's the highest people have seen? So. Redemption or breakage? Uh, well, either way. So, if it was ninety-five percent usage, five percent breakage. Oh. I've, uh, that's I've the seen, highest I've, I've seen. seen. I've seen eighty percent redemption rates, 
and in my career, I've never used breakage because I think the breakage term is wrong and should not be used. So you use utilization so or something, right? So the so the redemption I have seen, I've seen uh, the programs where we where we had uh, eighty percent redemption. So okay. customers quite quite well engaged, uh, and then you've got the twenty percent left, uh, which get kind of you can't avoid, right? So there are all sorts of reasons why those customers don't redeem. And is that because well, I've seen up to up to ninety five percent, but then that those programs have what I call a mix of um, spenders and savers rewards. So save spenders rewards meaning short, quick, early, you know, um, low value, but also these savers rewards where they can save up. So having a mix of those two things gives you a high usage, low breakage rate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, spot spot on Ian, right? I, I think it's, it needs to be a mixture of. Uh, something you can get really quickly, so, so almost instantaneous, if not instantaneous, uh, and then something you can expire, uh, you can aspire for, uh, something that kind of gives you gives you those emotions, and then again, it needs to be mixed uh, mixed to those different segments, right? Because you can't have a, I mean, the, the days of one single catalog uh, of rewards, they, these are these are long gone. Yeah. And what it about like an it's depends answer there, Pavel? Yeah, he didn't say the D word though. <laughs> and what about low rates? Because because uh, what about low redemption rates? Have we seen examples? Because I have seen an example of a loyalty program which is successful, but has a usage rate of thirty percent and a breakage rate of up to seventy percent. So, so this is where only a very few people in the program are benefiting from the rewards, but that doesn't necessarily make it. N- non-successful it, ma- no. it, ma- it makes it bad I, well it depends on what the oh, sorry ah! <laughs> it's always it's always in relation to what right and and like it's something i've studied quite a bit but um there's a relationship between frequency of purchase expiration rules and then what what breakage ac- actually is and we watch our our clients manage this all very 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 differently uh, but I worked with one um, very large beverage company that had a, a, a loyalty program, and their goal wasn't it wasn't redemption, and it wasn't just excitement about the the program. It was to spend another 15 minutes thinking about the brand, and they got that every single time when they had to go online and co- pre-code something in. But some interesting things happen when there's low usage or or high high breakage. We noticed some patterns where there was um, there was an individual winning. Uh, a particular sweepstakes that you could use those those points for multiple times and we thought it was a fraud issue and when it comes down to it there's only like a dozen people entering this thing yeah in, I've in, seen that. At, at all when, when, we, when we went to, to look at it and so they, they changed up those rewards um, but that's probably the best example I have a very very low uh, usage and uptake but they got everything they wanted out of the loyalty program because people put those codes in and within 30 days they were expired yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I've seen, I've seen two different uh, examples of a low. It's around that definition of success as well. Um, around around the thirty percent um, redemption. One of them is uh, a client who has just left program hasn't really engaged in it, and so I wouldn't really determine as success. But those people who use the program are seeing success. They're seeing the benefit out of it. Another client had a a program with a similar. Um, redemption rate and decided to close it down because there was a perception of lack of engagement from their and lack of interest from the members. As soon as they notified members that they were going to close it down, there was all this uproar from the members 
And so it was interesting seeing their perception versus the customer perception about what the success or what the engagement in the program was. But but it also matters where in the pro. I need to say it depends. There, it's where in the where in the customer's life cycle you you're engaging them. Because if you have a long term reward where people might we used to call it the hammock on the beach where they're saving up a long time for a lone goal is often the engine room of collection is at the beginning, not at the end, right? And so and so it still might be successful at changing behaviors, but actually it might not be ultimately in the in the redemption that's driving the behavior. In fact, what we found in that, in that particular program was when people were redeemed, we saw a big drop off in collection after 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 redemption. N- not because not because the program wasn't effective over the lifetime of the customer, except it was just by the end you couldn't you couldn't see that 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 impact anymore. One more before we get into talking about the D word is um, ROI. So we've all we're all nodding our heads. We've all had programs. Has anyone worked a program that didn't measure ROI? By the way, because lots of programs don't. I, I've I've worked for programs for years that didn't measure ROI. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> yeah. But um, what? So if we're measuring ROI as a percentage, where does success? What can success look like? I'll, I'll give there? you the opposite. No, no, no. Let's so do success many... first. Let's do. <laughs> Because I have seen programs that drive a 200%, even higher than that, ROI. And this is tr- straight, no, no, you know, provable uplift. Anyone? The, the, I wouldn't say it depends, but the challenge is in certain industries, obviously airlines being one, where ROI becomes almost irrelevant because they're just highly profitable profit machines. And so uh, the so it return matter. on investment. Well, it, it, it's, 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 it, if you did a traditional ROI, it's so high for, for what the, the host, the airline puts in to first what they actually get out is, is, uh, it's just massive because of the external value being drawn in, drawn into the system. So for, for this question, I think we should exclude good quality airline programs because it because the numbers are just sky high and it would make everything else look ridiculous yeah and because of that profit number it doesn't really matter that they might not drive an roi for, for the airline in some ways because it's because the the other number blows it out the water but what about others where we've measured retail programs what do you reckon a retail program should expect roi to be david you're you're hanging on the edge of your seat there yeah well i'm <laughs> deciding how i want to answer this because it depends on what you're measuring ah! for, uh, for return <laughs> right if you're just interested in money, that's that's only one aspect of it. Uh, however, most loyalty programs now are are much more complex beasts than our return is only about money. We want we want return on enjoyment. We want more emotional connection. We want more opportunities to market and engage with the customers. And the the uplift of sales from promotional activity within a loyalty program is 10 years old in terms of the focus. Now it is much more about can we get to all of these other windows through that connection with the with the member, and though the attribution around those things is a bit elusive right now. That's what, what many brands are really struggling to figure out: is did it have the effect that we're looking for? And we're seeing a lot more investment from brands there. So I didn't answer you, but that's my question was my qualifier was back at what are we measuring return on actually? In my view, uh, I think ROI should be always measured in money terms. You do not put engagement in the bank. You can't, put, you can't put those money in, uh, in a bank and, and, and show it to a shareholder. Right? So return on investment always should be in money terms. 
uh, calculated in money terms, because even that engagement needs to lead to sale at some point of time. It might not be sale today, so, right? It so, might, but it needs to be sale at some point of time. So and I think we, we talk, talk about numbers. I think a good, healthy program should show 150 to 170 yeah. percent ROI. I I've, seen, I've seen bigger. I've seen markets with super extraordinarily healthy, uh, often regulated markets, so high margin markets that were much higher. But that's kind of a that's on the of the scale similar to the, the loyalty examples that I've uh, shown, right? But I think regular retailer should be looking at 150, 170. And an ROI can be too high too, because well, I, I'll give you a good example. I worked on a program where ROI was really, really healthy, like in the numbers you're talking about, Pavel. And it was, um, but then someone comes in and says, right, you want to do a double double points campaign and we're thinking over my dead body because it'll ruin the ROI but actually it could be a good reason to engage customers more right so it could be a, a, a so but at least you know the measure and then you can measure the impact um, but Phil do you want to dive in here with with ones that are the other end of the spectrum where they're not performing right oh too often when you when you come in to do a review you lift the bonnet and the costs are real and often significant and the benefits are are negligible so there are so literally so zero programs. Well, tiny, as in. Yeah. So there are so many programs out there that are not washing their own face, which which is which is sad. And there's probably in in the in the whole world of loyalty programs, there's probably more programs that aren't washing their face than the ones that are. It's just that we will focus on the on the like the fun, sexy ones which are being successful. But there's a lot of programs which are either badly designed or. Um, Designed with good intent, and the business moves on, and it just just, just exists in this just erode margin. Yeah, you, you can tell them. We can tell them if you've been in this game a long time. You can do a drive by and say, "I don't know how that one works." Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and, I think, and, and you, Ian, you and I both know that every now and again you get it wrong because there is that, that one example where we thought there's no way that's working, and, and then we did some really deep analysis and it was fantastic yeah working. yeah amazing so there's, so always you, the, there's always the outlier there's always an outlier and you think you think yeah, or you think i'm going to shut that down and then you think oh wow this is absolutely caning it you know <laughs> um, and, and different mechanics that you don't think will work that you think wow that mechanic is what makes it different and therefore it's working really well so oh, david you're, you're you're nodding your head madly on this no, I'm I'm in a, I'm in agreement. I'm, I was listening to uh, Pavel's answer, um, uh, focusing right right on the money, and I I so agree at its core that if you can't at least control or measure the program, then you're just guessing and wishing and and hoping for for great things, and and on top of that, right? Yeah, that that you're you're crossing fingers your fingers crossed. and praying, right. <laughs> and at the same time, when there's a decision to shut down a program. They often miss those valuable things, which are the intangibles that are hard to measure. And so I'm, I'm a little bit of two heads on it. Yes, you have to be able to take it to a bank, Pavel. At the same time, there's stuff there that enables them to take other things to the bank as, as well that, that they're not measuring at all. So I agree with you. Um, and uh, I'm just smiling because this is my favorite conversation I've had all day. <laughs> right. So, so now, now everyone's on their long run. We're all on a, at the end of our long run on this one. Why is... General, why are generalizations dangerous? Who wants to go first? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll goodness. do the easy one. It, it, it's, it's so easy to say it depends because it really does. And it, it depends um, on 
the industry you're in, the geography you're in, um, how the programs managed, what you're what what you're trying to get out of it. Like, don't underestimate the the the, the impact of strategy and what you're trying to achieve, um, and the program ob- ob- objectives. But then how it's implemented as well. That uh, there's there's so many variables. I, I worry when someone asks me what's the benchmark for this. I worry that they're then going to try and aim for something which is largely irrelevant, especially in a, in, a, in a country like Australia, where there are some very visible, very successful programs out there. People say, oh, I want some of that success from my program, and they just don't have the enablers or, or, the, or the scale or, or, the, or the ability to pull that off. And so they could have a successful program, but it's not perceived to be successful because of what they're, they're aiming for was just never going to happen. You get that classic, um, to me, it's like an analyst uh, response around for loyalty programs going, the average transaction size in a loyalty program is X percent higher than non-loyalty members. Well, of course it is, because you're always going to attract the higher, higher spenders into your program. So it's, But it's to me, it's an analyst response or analyst thing to say, look how fantastic our program is and, and how well it's working when there's other things that you should be looking at as well. Yeah, that, that, but that's that there. Sorry, that stat there has, has kept the industry float, afloat for years. Yeah, exactly. there's, there's so many bad programs that still deliver that stat. And so they say, oh, look, we're, we're delivering a higher transaction value when oh, it's not. Don't. It's, it's causing... Don't. In fact, oh, I've, I've, worked, I've worked for programs <laughs> that should come to us. I've worked for programs that should come to us and say, look at these amazing stats. And then it just doesn't stand up for... I mean, the, the way I... I like what you said, Pavel. So I, the way I see it, and I often see it as being... People come to us and say... I want a Lord's program. We say it's a bit like asking a boiler in the house. So you're saying, I want a boiler, right? And before you say, I want a boiler, basically to your point, Pavel, you want a boiler that runs the house at 20 degrees, right? Now we know loyalty programs can work. We know loyalty programs can deliver a ROI of 100 to 150, 150 to 200%, right? We know it can happen, but I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't, you know, and so to ask how big the boiler needs to be and what temperature needs to run at and all that, all those techie things it's right out the bat without understanding the size of the house, the climate you're in, the how many people live in the house, how many bedrooms you've got, all that stuff. Now, you can stretch the analogy too far, but every brand, you need to understand that. You know it has to deliver a positive ROI, but then all the rest are massively variable. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would add, you know, my favorite qualifier for the it depends statement is that it's always in relation to what. Right. ROI is the only one of these these things that is this in relation to an investment that that we, we put in there. And like, what about return on experience? Because oftentimes you can get more value out, out of the experience than the investment or the, the actual cash or, or, or value of something that you're, you're putting out. And of the of 50 programs that that I had economically modeled at one point, I only found one where the client was interested in considering competition. Like, like was my value prop compared to what somebody down the road yeah, is really doing? And, and as that moves, how does that affect this thing, uh, you know, among different segments and things like that? And so it's, it's always good to create ratios when measuring any type of, of KPI because the ratios allow you to see what is moving. Is it the performance or the investment? Is it the, the trigger or the result? And so if you see those things over time, um, no matter what the KPI is, it allows you to really understand if it's a you problem comp- or competitive problem and what your actions might really need to be. That's a yeah. really good point. I, I, I totally, totally agree. And I will stress what you just said in your last sentence. 
is the measurement over time because I've seen so many times looking at the numbers, what's happening now and then forgetting what happened in the past and what might happen in the future, right? So I think looking at the trend over time, whatever the measure is, right? And and David, I'm not saying we should not measure engagement, right? Yes, we yeah, need to yeah. measure measure all of those, right? Uh, but it's important to take them in, in and see what what happened, what what's the trend, and how is that KPI moving? Yeah, but measuring ROI is a little bit like measuring wind in that. It does from month to month. If you try to measure it too often, it does go up and down and it does vary quite a lot. Yeah. But actually, as long as it's in a ballpark that's, that's, that's acceptable and that's in your target, that's, that's right. Because if you measure it, you know, you don't need to measure ROI every month or every week, but you do need to measure it every now and again to make sure that you're still pointing north. You know, you make sure you're still. Yeah. I, think you, I think ROI, you, you should measure bit, indeed in a, in a longer period of time but it's a regular frequency so that you yeah. get that measure over time. Yeah. But I would, not, I, would, I would not disagree with anybody saying, I want to measure ROI in, in, a, in, a, in a shorter term for, for the tactical, uh, tactical activities, right? So it might be a whatever promotion am I running? So I need to measure an ROI on that. And that gives me an, an indication where my overall ROI is going to lead. It's true. I agree with that. For me, the key is not to overreact if, if a short-term number goes exactly. goes south. Yeah. And, and also so, the trend, you need to go, because of COVID, you need to go back a long time for your yeah. trend as well. Because you know, yeah. I'm doing one for a client now, and I've got to go back three years to go pre-COVID, what we like to do a relative comparative. David. Yeah, I, I love Pavel's uh, point there. Um, just absolutely love it because, look, our job when we're when we're consulting and our clients' job when they're managing this program is for it to make money. It is to have a positive ROI. And when you look at the tactics, you should measure those tactics as part of a bigger picture. And that was that was his, his point as an indicator. I like to look at them as a portfolio of risk. We're going to try a bunch of different things. Some are known returns, and some are going to be some gambles. And helping your clients advise, helping to advise your clients on how to manage that program like a stock portfolio, um, can can help them continue to refine and improve its performance over time. And they can continue to say, "Here's what the ROI is now. I expect it to be this other thing. Here's the risks we're taking and the controls that we're putting." Uh, in and I think that's that, that's a really good point, David. Because if you take these as controls on a boiler, you could say that, that all these all these measures we've talked about, like sales penetration, like like take up, like like breakage, all of these things are huge dials, but they can be turned really far down and really far up and still work, right? That's right. And I think that's the biggest depends we're talking about here because. You can have 5% of this and 80, another program can have 80%. They're just different programs doing different things, yeah? Yeah. yeah. One, one thing I'll say on that, I'll, I know I'm doing a lot of talking, so I'll shut up here. But the, uh, um, like the thing I really like about ratios in conjunction with what you're saying is you could see a 30%, 30%, 30% return over time. But your member count may be going down and you may be getting more money from each, each member and, and you have an opportunity to get more membership to see a higher ROI, but without those ratios and those subcategories, you're looking at everything as smooth sailing because you're seeing that the program is performing um, consistently over time. Yeah, so it's true. just really important to see what's building to those numbers. Yeah. Oh.
Well, thank you very much, guys. That's about all we've got time for today. And, and uh, David, I love your thing saying it's the best conversation we've had all day. That's what we aim to do on the Loyalty Podcast. So can I say thank you very much, Phil. Thank you for your time today. Cool, thanks, Ian. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Pavel. Thank you very much. And thank you, David. Always a pleasure. And if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag The Loyalty Podcast. And we we'll look forward to your company again soon. Thank you, and goodbye.